listening to the Up and Under podcast, starting in 3, 2, 1. Yo, what's up guys? Welcome to the Up and Under podcast. I'm your host, Honey Jones, and me, as always, is Zisha. Yo. Alright, man, so continuing off of what we were doing in last week's episode, so if you haven't checked that out, definitely go do so. But basically what we're doing is we are now asking the question for some of the eliminated teams in the playoffs, what's next? You know, especially with teams, like in the last episode, we talked about the Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers. Teams like that have a lot of questions now after a first round exit uh, and, you know, just the way the season kind of transpired. You know, there's a lot more questions to be answered heading into this offseason. So we wanted to continue that with another couple of teams who we felt are going to have some questions to answer. And those teams are the Miami Heat and the Dallas Mavericks. Both teams eliminated in the first round. Now, obviously, Miami had their uh, was swept by the Bucks, and Dallas was eliminated in six, six, yeah, seven, seven by sorry, seven by the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, but yeah, these two teams are quite interesting in completely different positions. I think um, you know in terms of where they're going to be heading this off season. You know, especially I guess in the sense of the Dallas Mavericks, man, especially with all the news that happened with their franchise. Yeah, man, this came out of nowhere, honestly. I think you're right about the fact that they're in two different situations. Um, you know, but I think they're also kind of similar in the sense that both teams want to build a contending team. Both teams have some big, um, you know, moving pieces this offseason. And then, obviously, they have some long-term plans that they need to implement um, or that they need to execute moving forward. So I think even though... These two teams are in kind of different situations. Um, there is a lot of similarities in their situations as well. Yeah, for sure. But wasting no time, let's jump right into the first team we want to talk about, and that's the Miami Heat. Now, the Miami Heat finished the season with a 40-32 and 32 record, that, which was sixth in the Eastern Conference, so they actually avoided the play-in tournament. But they finished with the 17th-ranked offense and the 7th-ranked defense in the NBA. And obviously, I just mentioned that earlier, they got swept by the Bucks in the first round. Which was also revenge because of what Miami did to Milwaukee in last year's playoffs in the uh, second round. In the yeah. second round, yes. Man, uh, COVID has really affected your memory. <laughs> Everything just feels so yeah. far away. But yeah, so Miami Heat have had a very interesting season this year. You know, and a lot of it had to do with, you know, their biggest obstacle this year, which was, you know, the COVID protocols and injuries. This team was littered with injuries and COVID violations like throughout the year like starting with like even to the top guy like Jimmy Butler was you know in and out of the lineup because of injury and the COVID protocol Bam Adebayo was hurt for a little bit Goran Dragic, Tyler Hero the list goes on and on like I looked up their injury the injury report for the season and it's a very lengthy list yeah but, man they were playing like G League rosters at yeah times, pretty much right? yeah and you know they really didn't have a fully healthy or like a full team so again developing that chemistry developing that rhythm for this team was just so difficult, especially considering the fact that they also had one of the shortest off seasons this year because they made it to the finals last year. So, you know, especially with the, the short turnaround. With, with 72 the, days. You know, 72-day right. off season. Like, this team was, you know, probably battling a lot of, you know, injuries and fatigue throughout the year. So that definitely played a factor into how they performed. But their biggest weakness by far is their offense this season. Like, they lost a lot of key veteran players who they 
thought were going to be replaced by their young players coming up. You know, they lost guys like Jay Crowder. They lost guys like Kelly Olynyk, lost guys like Solomon Hill all throughout this year. And, you know, you wouldn't think these three guys were, you know, crucial to the Miami Heat's success last year. But Especially the first two. Especially the, yeah, like, I mean, Kelly Olynyk and Jay Crowder, like, they, they're good players, but they're not, like, you know, like, I guess, ma- major impact players, you know, unless they're in the right situation. Like, especially in the case of a guy like Kelly Olynyk, like, again, like, he's, a, he's not that great defensively, but, you know, you saw what he was able to do offensively for the Miami Heat. So, and Miami really thought that some of their young players were going to step up. Like, Tyler Hero had a very bad season this year. I think it's very safe to say that. And, you know, by the way, Miami, the fact that you weren't willing to give him up for Kyle Lowry, kind of shameful on your part. I'm just saying. Now, as Raptor fans, we are kind of grateful you didn't give us uh, Tyler Hero. Because, again, we all know once you make a rap song about a player, they're never the same after that. <laughs> you know? But, again, it's like, remember Mobamba? Yeah. Listen, it's 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 a thing. But again, Tyler Hero, not a great season. Duncan Robinson, I think he was okay. Duncan Duncan was probably the the best of their young players, I think. I mean he was what he was, right? And yeah. he is what he is. He's a shooter, he's not a good defender, he's not a playmaker. His job is out there is to shoot. Yeah. And that's what he did. The problem is for Miami when you need more players to step up, a guy who's just gonna play his role is not cutting it anymore. Pretty yeah, much, right? pretty much. And then obviously, like you have guys like Kendrick Nunn again in and out of the lineup. Does Eric Spoelstra trust him? Does he not trust him? And then obviously sprinkled in KZ Apala, uh, you know, Precious Achua, who I actually quite like Precious Achua. He was good. He, he was pretty good this he season. Was, he still has a lot of room to develop, but he's yeah, very he, good. He's very raw, but I think again he has that potential to grow. And then even guys like Max Struss, you know, Gabe Vincent, you know, guys who burned the Raptors this year <laughs> uh, on repeated occasion. But yeah, like Miami was really hoping that these young players were going to take the next step in their development and fill that void. But clearly they, they weren't ready for that at this stage. And, you know, again, I think that can be corrected in, in future years. Obviously, you know, these young players can get better. But in, the, in terms of a guy like Duncan Robinson, who is a restricted free agent this year, you know, it, it really leads you to question, like, how much are you willing to pay these guys? Or is it worth the money in, in investing in guys that... You know, you expected to grow, but didn't. So that's definitely another problem with the Miami Heat and that they're going to have to answer. I think another contributing factor to their, low, their, their poor offense this year was they play a very slow pace. Now, again, a lot of that has to do with Jimmy Butler and his play style. Jimmy plays a very slow, isolating, isolation-heavy play style. And, you know, Miami is going to have to adapt to that because that's their best player. You know, but I think... You know, what really hurt them from last year in, the, in, in, in this season was the three-point shooting. They were, I think they were the best three-point shooter shooting team last season. Well, definitely in the playoffs, at least. Like, they were definitely one of the top three-point shooting teams. This year, they were pretty poor on that side of the ball. Like, very, like, average. I think 19th was the, the rank this year. And, you know, especially, you know, from a team that really lacks creators, besides Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, it's not great that your shooters aren't producing at you know, at a high level, you know, and especially when you play slow, again, you're playing slow, it allows the defense to be set, it allows rotation to kind of happen, you know, a lot more fluidly rather than if you're playing a faster pace, it's harder for defenses to get set up. So definitely I think the slow pace was kind of backfired in Miami this year, so they might want to adjust that going forward. And then the last kind of problem of the season that I kind of want to touch upon with the Miami Heat it's the Victor Oladipo situation. Now, again, Miami took a big gamble 
going after Victor Oladipo because he was looking okay in Houston. Obviously, it was not nearly his Indiana self. But again, the injuries have taken a toll on him. And there was a, a high possibility that Oladipo was going to miss time because of injury. But Miami still took that gamble, traded Kelly Olenek, Avery Bradley, you know, and a, and a pick or two, a pick swap, I think, and rolled the dice on Oladipo. Now Oladipo's hurt and is a free agent this summer. So what they do with him is yet to be seen, but they did give up a pretty valuable piece now in Kelly Olenek. Well, the thing about the Victor Oladipo thing is that on one hand, you could say it's a lose situation or like blew, blew up in their face short term. The thing is about the Victor Oladipo situation, it was worth, I think, the gamble because of the fact that they had another player going out on Kelly Olenek, who was about to be a free agent as well. Um, and they brought in another player who's about to be a free agent. If he didn't work out, cut the cord with him, done. Yeah. You know, they, they have no commitment to him. And so we'll see what he does this offseason. Um, from what I've seen, I think he might just take a shorter deal to come back to Miami, more like a prove-it deal. Um, and in that case, I think that could have worked well for Miami. So the jury's still um, out, or the verdict is still out on the Victor Oladipo trade, I think, for the Miami Heat. Um, but it'll definitely be interesting for sure, I think. Yeah, which, again, now that you kind of touched upon it, and it was a good segue over to the, the positives that Miami has heading into this offseason. And, you know, the, the first and probably the biggest thing that everybody's talking about with the Miami Heat, they have a young team, a lot of expiring contracts that end up at end this offseason. So they have a lot of cap space to sign a potential third star to, you know, and fill the roster, you know, with, with veteran players, the players that fit better with what they're trying to do. You know, so that cap space is going to be very valuable. Even, you know, despite them signing a guy like Bam Adebayo to his extension, you know, they still have Goran Dragic is on a team option with $19 million. Andre Iguodala is on a team option of $15 million. That's, what is that? $35 million they can easily free up just like that, you know, without even having to dive into tax money or anything of that nature. Then, obviously, you know, you have guys like Tyler Heroes on a team option. Pick that up. And then the rest of the team is just young players. So Miami didn't have a lot of money to play with in terms of how they can restructure their team. You know, the question really becomes who they're going to go out and get, which I'll touch upon in a bit. But that is such a major positive for this team because, again, it can be in a quick turnaround and they can be right back into contention as early as next season. The other thing is they also have, with these young players, they're basically trade ships. Now, Miami traded a lot of their picks away, which, again, you can you know, judge whether or not that was foolish or not. But for Miami, they're chasing a championship. So for them, it really doesn't matter. So, but they do have these young players. They do have these young prospects that if packaged within the right deal, could net them even more players, more veterans, you know, and really help bolster the team even further to put them in contending status. You know, I think, you know, a guy like Tyler Hero might be on the trade block. Who knows? You know, again, he's a young player, but does he fit Miami's timeline? Like, he's 21 years old. Miami's trying to win now, you know? One thing I will add to that, um, on top of the list of names that you mentioned, is Duncan Robinson. Mm-hmm. Duncan Robinson is an interesting name because of the fact that he's about to be a restricted free agent. Now, ideally, Miami would love to have him back. You know, he does a lot for Miami's offense. You've seen, we've seen in the playoffs over the last two years. When teams are able to neutralize him, Miami's offense just falls off a cliff. Right, Duncan Robinson is one of the best shooters in the game. Not to mention the fact that, you know, despite the fact that he's not a great defender, he's not a complete liability like a lot of other shooters because of the fact that he is 6'7". So he's able to at least, you know, lengthwise stick on to players. 
Um, now, again, ideally, you'd love to have Duncan Robinson back if you're the Miami Heat. But, but at what cost? What, exactly. At what cost? In terms of the fact that Miami's trying to go after another big-name player, after another star, perhaps. Um, and if, you know, if they're able to do that, then Duncan Robinson is definitely not in their timeline uh, or not in their, their peripheral. Um, you know, and if, you know, if they want to fill out the roster a bit more rather than commit all that money to Duncan Robinson, that's also an option. Um, so Duncan Robinson, I think, is a very interesting name for the Miami Heat. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to make a decision on him. But I think one other point that you got to mention, they can find someone to replace Duncan Robinson, especially within the free agent class. I'll bring up a couple of names who you can possibly bring in. But again, it really depends on how much Duncan would want on, on, the, on the open market and you know what type of offer sheets are available, etc. But I think you also touched upon a little bit on my next point on what you know the good going forward in Miami is heat culture. The, the culture that they build being a good defensive ball club, a team that is going to play hard each and every single night, is still going to be there. Because, again, you have your core pieces. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are still going to be there. Eric Spolstra is there. Pat Riley is there. The culture is still intact. All you need is to bring in guys who fit that culture, who fit the vision of the team, and you can have an easily a, a contending team in the Eastern Conference uh, by next season. So that's... So those are the positives for the Miami Heat heading into the offseason. So now, who should they possibly go after? Now, this is where things get a little more wide open for the Miami Heat because there's just so many possibilities for them. You know, obviously, the most rumored player that Miami can possibly go after is Kyle Lowry in free agency. Now, they were interested at the trade deadline to make a deal for Lowry, but obviously the deal fell through because Miami wasn't willing to give up Tyler Hero and the Raptors were like, you're going to give us Tyler Hero, you know, but... Um, the deal fell through, but Miami still has more than enough cap space to re-sign Kyle Lowry, to sign Kyle Lowry to a pretty lucrative deal. You know, I think Lowry will command in the market between 20 to 25, maybe $27 million a season. For Definitely him. over 24, I would say. I, like, I mean, it really depends on which team he ends up going with. But again, Miami has more than enough money if they, you know, let go of one of Iguodala or Drogic, which is very likely. Like, I think if they... If they sign Lowry, Drogic is pretty much as good as gone. And I think Iguodala just makes too much money for his age at this stage of his career. So Kyle Lowry is definitely the interesting one. I think he's going to be my, one of Miami's top targets. Uh, Kyle has also been very interested in Miami as well. Another name that has been floating out there is Kawhi Leonard. Now, this is very unlikely. But again, Miami can make it work if they really want to. The difference with Kawhi Leonard is that it really depends on how the Clippers finish their season. And as it stands at this, you know, at the time of recording this, it looks more likely than not that Kawhi is going to resign. You know, especially given the circumstances that the Clippers can make a push for a conference finals, you know, more likely than not he's going to stay. So, but Kawhi is definitely out there. Another name that I thought was very interesting was could, that could be possible is Demar Derozan. You know, when I talked about Miami's pace, their play style. You know, it really reminded me of what DeMar DeRozan loves to do. You know, he loves to be a slow-paced, mid-range type of player. And again, you know, a lot of people say the mid-range is dead. Well, now you have two, if you get DeMar, you have two of the best mid-range scorers in the NBA, in DeMar DeRozan and Jimmy Butler. So putting those two guys in there will help you in the playoffs, surround them with shooters. It could work. You know, obviously Miami would still need a point guard, but they can definitely add DeMar. DeMar would Im improve their scoring right away. And I think he would be a, he'd be definitely an interesting option. I think for for this Heat team, a lot of people aren't really talking about it that much. 
another option we always touched upon is re-signing Victor Oladipo for a relatively cheaper, prove it type of deal on the table. Definitely still on the table. Like I think for Oladipo, it's going to be probably his best option just because who knows what the open market is going to be and the status of his injury. Um, so yeah, those were the kind of the star players I was kind of leaning towards. The Miami could also even sign role players like guys like Danny Green would be perfect for Miami. Uh, a replacement of Duncan Robinson would be a guy like J.J. Redick is another guy because he I think he'd be much cheaper than J, than Duncan Robinson. He can still get provide you the same skill set, uh, veteran experience, playoff experience. J.J. Redick is definitely an option. So if you move on from Duncan, you don't want to pay him twenty plus million dollars. Pay a guy like J.J. Redick ten, maybe twelve million dollars a season would definitely work out. Another option if they miss out on Kyle Lowry would be a Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, obviously in Brooklyn, you know, Brooklyn really doesn't have the, don't have the money to pay, pay him what he's looking at getting paid at. Obviously, this guy wants to be paid in like cryptocurrency at this, at this point. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie's an interesting guy, man. He's I can't hate it. He's an interesting guy. Interesting guy, man. Literally putting up on Twitter, poll on Twitter, be like, yo, which team should I go back yo, to? Yo, that was funny. <laughs> that, that was funny. That <laughs> was too funny. But definitely, I can see him in my, going into Miami. You know, he would definitely be a good fit culture-wise for what they want to do. You know, a hard-nosed, scrappy type of player. Definitely fits. And especially if they lose out on a guy like Kyle Lowry, Spencer Dinwiddie is a very good alternative for them. And then finally, Serge Ibaka. Um, I personally don't see him sticking around with the Clippers um, just based on the way the season went. And, you know, I think his role with the Clippers just makes no sense. I think they really like Ibiza Zubac. But, so that's why I think for Serge, it makes more sense to go on a team like Miami where you are pretty much guaranteed to get minutes either at the backup five position or even you could start next to Bam at, the, at, you know, at the four. So it could definitely work out for Serge to go there. But... I think the underlying message I'm going to get at is Miami has a lot of players they can go after. You know, with the amount of money they have, with the type of roster fluidity they, they can make, it's very interesting to see what Miami can do. And I think they have so much flexibility that literally they can retool their entire team this offseason back in contention, contention next year. Yeah, man. One more thing about Miami um, that I think a lot of their plans hinge on Um and something that really, I think, showed its head in the playoffs is Bam Adebayo and the development of his offensive game. Yeah. Uh, now, Bam Adebayo, Bam Adebayo has exceeded all of our expectations. We can clearly say that for sure. Yeah. Um, he's already an all-NBA defender. Um, he's a great passer at the big man position. He handles you know, the ball very well. Handles the ball very well. The problem is his you know, his shooting, his offensive game, um, his ability to put up points. And you really saw him struggle with that when there wasn't a Jimmy Butler type of guy on the floor, you know, when there wasn't someone who would take the defense's attention. When the defense's attention was fully, you know, fixated on Bam Adebayo, he really, really struggled. And that contributed a lot to um, the Miami Heat's lack of success, especially we saw that in the playoffs where the Milwaukee Bucks pretty much defended the Miami Heat um, as good as anyone. You know, with the way Brooke Lopez was playing and, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks and their strategy was, which was pretty much daring Bam Adebayo to hit those mid-range jumpers. They would take away his passing lanes um, and by sagging off of him, he wouldn't be able to hit those cutters, yeah. right? So when they let him shoot those mid-range jumpers and he was clearly unwilling to take them, um, 
Miami just fell apart. They literally just fell apart on the offensive end without Bam Adebayo and his facilitating abilities. So if Miami wants to take that next step moving forward, a lot of it is also going to hinge on Bam Adebayo and not being a liability in terms of being an offensive threat. Yeah, but I think that, again, if Miami is able to get that third star, that should alleviate some of the pressure off Bam. So we should see Bam return the form. But again, you, you're right in the sense that we want to see that offensive growth from the player, from Bam. And, you know, if he can get to that level, that'll make Miami even better. But I think the objective is to get another star, relieve the pressure off of, off of Bam, you know, and kind of create a, you know, a, you know, a good three-way tandem, you know, for them to work with. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so that was the Miami Heat and what was next or what is next for the Miami Heat and their plans moving forward this offseason. Uh, moving on to the Dallas Mavericks, and they've been recently in the news for a lot of the stuff, or a lot of not great stuff, actually. Yeah, bro, you see that ESPN doc for, for Boban? Yo, that, that, that's the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yo, <laughs> Listen, Boban's good, a go, bro. Good shout watch. Out, <laughs> shout, out, shout out Boban for sure. Um, when we're talking about the Dallas Mavericks, because of the fact that it's in the news recently, um, and it's such a dominating headline and dominating presence across their organization, and especially in the last couple of years, I'm not going to talk about the stuff that's happened before, but you know, if you know what I'm referring to over the last, what was it like two years ago or whatever it was, a lot of cultural issues within the workplace. And this has only been... Um, you know, brought forward even further in this offseason. And so the first step for the Dallas Mavericks and moving forward this offseason is to figure out their front office stuff, is to figure out their organizational stuff. So the first thing that happened is, or one of the things that happened is that Rick Carlisle, after 13 seasons of coaching the Dallas Mavericks, stepped down. Now, in our last episode, I did say that I don't, I think Rick Carlisle needs to go. I didn't think it would happen this soon. But, hey, I guess I'm... Uh, I didn't think it would happen because Mark Cuban literally came out and said, uh, Rick Carlisle, the coach. So, when the owner comes out and says, no, this guy is the coach, that, that pretty much means your job is, is safe. So, this Rick Carlisle has really admitted that this is his decision. Now, what the underlying reasons are, we can speculate all we want, but... Well, that brings me to my point about the fact that Rick Carlisle stepped down despite Mark Cuban clearly saying that this was their coach. And that brings me to my point about they need to find a coach that will work well with Luka, that will listen to Luka and hold guys accountable on the defensive end and play guys in the roles that are that they're supposed to be suited to. And I'll talk about this a bit later as well. We saw that clearly Luka Doncic was not the biggest fan of Rick Carlisle. And um, though I will say Rick Carlisle, you know, Rick Carlisle has his own issues. Uh, but I will say, you know, like his ability to hold guys accountable, I still respected that aspect of, you know, his coaching ability. But I will agree with Luca on some of the stuff that he had issues with Rick Carlisle with. Um, you know, namely, there's that one uh, one moment in the playoffs where, yeah, the timeout, exactly, where the Dallas Mavericks, I think it might be in game six, if I'm not mistaken, um, had all of their momentum moving forward. And Rick Carlisle called a timeout. Uh, despite Luka Doncic clearly saying he wanted to get the ball and uh, get the ball in bounds, um, so that was just I think one of the many moments that encapsulated the relationship between Ricardo and Luka Doncic, um, and that definitely played a factor into Ricardo's um, departure. The next thing that happened for the Dallas Mavericks is that their president and GM Donnie Nelson was fired. 
Um, which again, relating it back to their star player, Luka Doncic, and Luka even admitted himself that this was a tough move for him, a tough decision for him because of the fact that Donnie Nelson was the first guy to introduce him and to get him on board um, on the Dallas Mavericks. Well, he drafted him. Exactly, he drafted him. So after a number of years as well, that's another guy out the, out the picture. And so they've reportedly been looking at their VP, uh, Michael Finley, um, you know, to be Donnie Nelson's possible replacement. And then finally, you have the, all, all, all the reports surrounding um, Bob Volgaris, who is the director of quantitative research and development. Um, you know, with him, there's, I'm not going to restate what the report was saying, but, you know, if you want to, if you guys want to read the report, it was out there. The reportedly he was influencing too many decisions and too many important decisions within um, the Dallas Mavericks front office because of the fact that he had a good relationship with Mark Cuban um, and that a number of players and organizational executives do not like him, um, namely Luka Doncic. So there was all of these reports out there, which Mark Cuban obviously denied. Um, I mean, he kind of has to. Yeah, he has to, right? But that brings me to my main point once again about the Dallas Mavericks and their front office and their cultural environment. I, I think kind of the opposite of what the Miami Heat are, right? Where the Miami Heat are a stabilizing force, a, you know, a top of the line cultural environment um, across, you know, looked at across the league. The Dallas Mavericks have kind of embodied the opposite of that, you know, namely with the stuff that's going on right now and then the stuff that's happened over the past well, number of years. They've had the stability and ownership, but Mark Cuban's obviously such a huge personality that, you know, it, it's it's tough for him to make get that balance, I think. And I think in the sense of, you know, for Miami, you know, who's, do you, does anyone know what Mickey Harrison is? <laughs> does anyone no. know where he is? Like, we all know what Mark Cuban is, so. Well, there's Miami, he... Um, the guy that runs it and the guy that you think of with the Miami Pat, is Pat Riley, right? Yeah. And Pat Riley, we know, doesn't play no games. You know, he's a godfather. Yeah. Um, that brings me to my next point about the Dallas Mavericks, which is their salary cap um, and their, their spreadsheet. They have around $20 million in cap space for the 2021 offseason. Um, that's taking into account if, uh, you know, they, they get rid of uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, who is on a team option, if they decline his team option, which is for around $4.6, sorry, $4.1 million. Um, they'll have around $20 million in cap space, which is a good thing. However, they need to re-sign Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, you know, obviously you could say, is he really worth the money that he's going to want? Maybe, probably not. I mean, based on the way he played... And, you know, what he's done for Dallas, he's, he's earned the money. He's earned the money. However, knowing Tim Hardaway's history and, you know, knowing the type of impact he could have or could not have, um, you know, some, some may look at it as, you know, a Dallas Mavericks, you know, they shouldn't pay him what he wants. However, again, like Connie said, given the impact that he's had on the Dallas Mavericks, it's kind of a necessity for them to re-sign him. And he's definitely going to be commanding at least $21 million. Right now, he was getting paid um, uh, $18.9 million. So he's definitely going to be looking for a pay raise. Yeah. Um, so if you want to be able to pay him and resign him, that pretty much goes, that, that's pretty much all of your free cap space. Another guy that's going to be a free agent is Boban Mangan. Bro, immediate resign. You have to resign him. Bro, Luca's one of Luca's best friends. Luca just lost his coach. He lost his GM. Bro, you can't take away Boban, man. Plus, yeah, man. He's, he's, a, he's a lovable guy, man. Well, that's my point, right? He's a great locker room presence. Everyone that's had him in their locker room has stated how big of a presence that he actually was. And we know firsthand how big these presences are. Um, Literally and the figuratively. Season. Exactly. 
And especially in the playoffs, you need those kind of guys on the bench, which is why guys like Udonis Haslam, Andre Iguodala, all have jobs to this day, right? Andre Iguodala is not washed completely, but he's getting there, right? Um, and then for the final point is that Luka Doncic is approaching his Supermax extension, right? He's eligible to sign a Supermax, which will kick in after next season. So any salary cap uh, projections or plans that you have or financial plans that you have have to take into account Luka Doncic and his Supermax money. So it'll definitely be interesting. And that's um, going to be a big contract. Exactly. That's going to be a big contract. <laughs> and so it's well, definitely going to be interesting what the Dallas Mavericks do um, with their financials moving forward. Arguably, I think the biggest portion um, or the biggest dominating factor of their salary cap um, and their salary sheet is Kristaps Porzingis. Now, that brings me to my next point about the Dallas Mavericks and their direction. They have to figure out what to do with the Kristaps Porzingis situation. The reality of the matter is that it's not very easy at all to figure out what to do with him. Near impossible. And their only option, as of right now, at least within, you know, he, he does have three years remaining. Um, with $102 million guaranteed. His last year is a player option for $36 million, um, which he will definitely not decline. The issue for the Dallas Mavericks is that right now, um, they kind of have no choice except to just stick with him, right? There's not really much else you can do. Honey, uh, when we were talking about the episode, Honey brought up a possible trade scenario with, for example, the Washington Wizards, where, you know, you give up a large amount of money, say Bradley Beal is involved in the trade somehow, um, you know, multiple draft picks being involved. Well, the gist of the idea really relies upon the fact that the only way Dallas can make it work is if there's a, a star, a disgruntled star on another team who, you know, is, you know, the other team willing to move and that other team can see a possibility that Kristaps Porzingis can fit on their team. So obviously they can see, okay, young player, there's still potential and he can work on our roster. But Dallas is going to have to give up a lot of pieces to make the deal more attractive. And that's where kind of Washington has a possibility to it because Bradley Beal, I don't know if he wants to stay in Washington long term. If he asks for a trade, you know, Washington can say, hey, we have Westbrook. Westbrook works well with bigs who can spread the ball, you know, spread the floor. You know, it, it could work financially if we're given enough pieces to be more incentivized to trade our best player. Yeah, exactly. As That's literally what it is. But the point of the matter is that the Dallas Mavericks kind of have no choice yeah. have no choice with Kristaps Porzingis. Um, the unfortunate thing about Kristaps Porzingis is that we thought it would be a great fit, a seamless fit with Luka Doncic. The reality oh, is a that, healthy Porzingis. Yes, exactly. The reality is that it hasn't been a great fit with Luka Doncic. Um, first of all, he's regressed a ton after his injuries, which, you know, given his stature as a big man, kind of is, is kind of expected, unfortunately, you know? Um, his defense has fallen off a cliff. You know, he was anchoring the New York defense when he was playing for the Knicks. His defense has fallen off a cliff. Um, his offensive game has not been great as well. Bro, and you're again, 7-3. Take layups. Exactly, bro. He, he himself has not... He hasn't produced as much as the Dallas Mavericks had hoped. And as a result, it hasn't worked well with Luka Doncic as well, at all. Um, there's those reports out there of, uh, of the fact that, you know, Luka and Kristaps don't hang out at all. They're not really friends, which again, could still work. But 
it makes it that much harder to build that chemistry on the court. And you can clearly see the effects of it on the court when Kristaps Porzingis wants the ball and Luka Doncic doesn't even look at him. Or, you know, Luka Doncic just simply ignores him. Or if Kristaps gets the ball, you know it's not going back to Luka Doncic at all. You know, so there's these underlying issues of the whole dynamic and the relationship between Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. What hasn't also helped in that matter, um, which was probably a reason why Rick Carlisle was fired, was because of his mismanagement of Chris Asperzingis and how to use him. I touched upon this a couple of episodes ago as well. Um, Chris Asperzingis did not help his case with the way he played and obviously with the injuries. However, I did not like the way Chris, uh, Rick Carlisle used Chris Asperzingis at all. Um, there was that quote about a year ago, I think, or last season, whatever it was, where uh, Rick Carlisle, you know, a reporter asked Rick Carlisle why he doesn't post up Chris Asperzingis when it worked so well for the New York Knicks. And Rick Carlisle said the post up doesn't it's not a good play in today's NBA, which is completely absurd, right? And yeah. that's pretty bad coming from your head coach. And you could see it in the system that they ran where Chris Asperzingis, unfortunately, you know, with all the tools that he has and all the gifts that he has, was forced to pretty much just stand around on the perimeter all day. And that's not how you utilize a seven foot three guy who can post up, shoot, and dribble the ball. Right. So yeah. it clearly has not been a great fit for Chris Asperzingis across any level. Um, it and- also doesn't help that, if, you know, when you're talking about the Luka situation, I mean, first off, Lu- Luka's favorite big man on the team has already been filled by, by Boban. Yeah. Second of all, Kristaps, if you're getting outplayed by Boban, and Boban doesn't play as much as, as, as he does, because again, defensive liability, but Boban's still effective and efficient, because he's used to go, but he's still more efficient and effective than you are, that's telling something. To give him some props, though, Chris Stapps did play, I think, pretty good defense against the Clippers. Um, unfortunately, it was just bad offense all around, I think, across the team, uh, minus Luka Doncic. And that brings me to my final two points about the Dallas Mavericks and what they need to work on overall in terms of roster construction. The first thing they need is defense. They were ranked 19th overall this season, and that's been the recurring theme for them over their Luka Doncic tenure and for a number of years before. They're a good offensive team. Last year, they were a historically great offense, offensive team. Unfortunately, their defense is not good at all, and that gets them in trouble in the playoffs. And we know in the playoffs for the past two seasons, the blueprint of the Dallas Mavericks' success has been for Luka Doncic to drop like 40 points and for the Dallas Mavericks to be able to get to like 140 points. And that's just not sustainable over the course of the playoffs. So they definitely need some more defense, and that's only being contributed by the decline of Kristaps Porzingis, who they had hoped could be that stabilizing force on defense. Unfortunately, it just hasn't worked out because of injuries. They desperately need some wings on the defensive end, and we saw this particularly against the Clippers with Paul George and uh, and Kawhi Leonard. Now, Maxi Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith are not bad defenders by any stretch. Dorian Finney-Smith, I actually like him a lot. He's a very good defender, I will say. He's a very good player overall. Um, unfortunately, you just need a couple more of those guys that can help you out in the playoffs, especially to mask up the deficiencies of guys like Luka Doncic in the lineup and then, well, you know, obviously on the defensive Well, end. they thought they were getting that with Josh Richardson, but clearly Josh Richardson is just not the same player anymore. Well, I, not the same player. He's never that well, player in the first place. I like, he, he had a good couple of years in Miami, and then it just kind of fell apart. Pretty much, so, yeah. So some guys that I could throw out there, and you know, these are just a couple of examples, is Danny Green, first of all. Now we could make fun of his offensive game, blah, blah, blah. He did shoot 40% from three or around 40% from three this year. Obviously in the playoffs has been a different story once again. 
Um, but off we know we know what he brings on the defensive end in terms of his IQ, his length, um, just the smarts that he has on the defensive end. Hate on Danny, but he's got three rings. Just exactly. Saying. And reportedly, he it was between the Mavericks and the Lakers last season um, for who he was going to sign with. He definitely made the right choice in the Los Angeles signing. Another guy is Trevor Reza. Now he is getting up there in age as well. Um, however, you know, his stint with the Miami Heat showed he could still be a valuable contributor um, in the league right now. Plus, he'd be cheaper than, I think, a guy like a Danny Green would exactly, be. Exactly, exactly. So, and then finally, P.J. Tucker. And we've seen what he's done for the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of giving them that uh, defensive IQ, that Almost fighting over. Kevin Durant. Exactly. Love that it. toughness, right? They need some of that. And they'd hope to do to get that with guys like Willie Cauley-Stein, James Johnson. Unfortunately, you know, James Johnson, for his part, just wasn't good enough to even stick on the court. Well, he wasn't like... He didn't have the offensive skill set that, that you would need to put next to Luka. Like, James Johnson's not really a shooter. Exactly. A guy like P.J. Tucker would fit perfectly next to Luka because... Best corner three-point shooter in the game is P.J. Tucker. So Well, at least last year. Listen, it's still there. P.J. Tucker is... Like, he's still one of those versatile players that will still be able to be effective, I think. Exactly. And these are just some of the names I named out there. You, there's probably other names. But you get the point that I'm trying to make. They need some defensive-minded wings um, who can get it done for them and can, you know, hinder some... Or not hinder. Uh, mask up some of their um, deficiency... Defeat? Yeah. Deficiencies on the defensive end. Words are hard. Yeah, words are hard, man. Especially, uh, you know, being tired. Um, and then also, we saw this in the playoffs, especially against the Clippers. And this was a very, very glaring problem throughout the season. And again, like I said, especially in the playoffs, is their lack of secondary playmakers next to Luka Doncic. When Luka Doncic was in the game, the Mavericks were great they were fine when he stepped off the court they completely crumbled now Jalen Brunson I still like him as a player but he's just not that guy um you know to help you in these situations in the playoffs he's just another nice rotation piece he's like a Um, JJ Barea pretty much pretty much yeah um and you definitely need another guy who can help you out if you're you know Luka Doncic he has to carry such a load offensively um he has you know one of the highest usage rates already in NBA history now, I will say some of that I think can be attributed to him and is a bit of his fault as well. He does have a tendency to hold the ball a bit too much, I will say. And if he's not holding the ball, he kind of d- does the James Harden thing of standing in the corner, standing at the top, way away from the action and pretty much not doing anything for the rest of the possession. So I will put some blame on Luka Doncic for that. However, it's clear that the Dallas Mavericks definitely need a secondary playmaker next to him to ease some of that burden. Um, now, Tim Hardaway Jr. is there, but again, he's not a facilitator like Luka Doncic. Um, you need another guy that can facilitate and get people the ball. Some guys um, that I'm going to name are Derrick Rose, for example. Probably not going to happen given Staying his contract. York. Yeah, he, he'll definitely want a bigger contract. Um, Reggie Jackson is an interesting name. I don't know if it would work well in the Dallas Mavericks system. Um, but, you know, another guy that can facilitate and score the ball for you. And then one other guy that I've brought up a couple of times and is, I don't know, I guess one of my favorite players in the league now, Jordan McLaughlin. Um, again, he's an end-of-the-bench kind of guy, but he's another guy that you can throw in there to help get guys the ball and, um, you know, attack the paint a bit. Um, there's probably other guys out there, but again, you guys get my point of what I'm trying to say. You need another guy that can ease that burden of Luka Doncic. And especially when he's off the court, 
help facilitate and run the offense as normal. Yeah, like another name you can possibly go to Patty Mills could even work yep. really well. Mm-hmm. But even a guy like Kyle Lowry would, would be perfect for Dallas. Now, the problem is them money. Money wise, getting a guy like Lowry is going to be tough for them and signing Hardaway. But crazier things have happened in the NBAs. But like those are the type of players that Dallas really needs to be successful. So, I mean, I guess the overall with the Dallas Mavericks has just been that they're right, they're there, but they got to make, they got, they're, they're a playoff team. They just got to make those changes to really maximize their potential to be a contending team, especially when you have a generational talent like Luka Doncic. You know, you you got to do everything you can. And Mark Cuban, the best thing for the math, Mark Cuban is not afraid to spend spend money. So he will pay luxury tax money if he knows he has a chance to win. So definitely it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Dallas Mavericks as well as the Miami Heat. Finally, to end off this episode, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be bringing up the up and under segment. Now, there is a lot of stuff to talk about. First off, we're going to talk about a couple of somber news, uh, news that really change, could change the landscape of the NBA playoffs. First off is uh, Kawhi Leonard of the Clippers is out indefinitely with a possible ACL injury. Now this, you know, just shocked everybody. Now, obviously, when you Kawhi finished uh, Game Five uh, on the road, like was it Game Five or Game Six? Game Five. I think. Yeah, yeah, he finished Game Five, um, but that's where he actually suffered the injury where he planted. It was on a fast break. It was on a fast break. He kind of bumped into Joe Ingles planted his right foot wrong and knee buckled. And they're saying that that might have been an ACL injury. Now, again, it's not really confirmed yet, but that's what the Clippers fear. And if Kawhi is out, it's really tough to see the Clippers doing anything significantly more than maybe getting past the second round based on the way Utah's playing. You know, obviously, like, Paul George definitely stepped up in it. Is, has been stepping up over the last couple of games, but we all know way off P in, in the crew is going to show his ugly head, and I can't wait. The the thing about the Clippers is the fact that not just Paul George, but the Clippers as a team have had a lot of success, but it's been a lot of issues with their success, if I can say that, in terms of them being, um, you know, not a passing team. They don't pass the ball that much. A lot of their points come from just three-point shooting, standstill shots, which, as we know, does not work well in the playoffs, right? And we've seen that already. Um, there are numerous struggles against an inferior team like the Mavericks and an arguably inferior team as well in the Utah Jazz. Um, so the Clippers as a whole... Better than Dallas, come on. Utah, I mean... Utah's a good team. Utah's a good team, but... I think they're also missing of, Mike Conley. Yeah, Mitchell's well, also... Mike Con- I think if Mike Conley was there, the series would probably be over I would say but again you know a lot of us a lot of us had the Clippers over the Utah Jazz now again to my point the Clippers have been an inconsistent team already um so with Kawhi Leonard being out this is definitely not gonna he's the stabilizer exactly and um you know that brings me to my point about the injuries this season we've already talked about we saw that we saw that um you know tweet of LeBron James where he pretty much said I told you so and unfortunately, that's the reality, right? We, know, we knew this was going to happen. A 72-game uh, schedule condensed into the time that it had been condensed after, you know, for example, the Lakers and the Miami Heat only rested for 72 days um, between last season and this season. Um, so it's a shortened offseason, uh, 72 games into a compressed schedule. And then on top of that, 
you have the Olympics right now coming up as well. So players are pretty much going to be playing around two and two or two and a half years straight of uh, of basketball. So it's going to be very, very tough to see what the NBA does moving forward. However, before you go, I will say the players bear some culpability in this. So I was actually going to bring that up because it's a good thing you brought up what LeBron said because I agree with what you're saying is that, yes, the schedule was being condensed. They started earlier. But here's the thing, and I'm, I'm speaking towards what LeBron James said. Well, LeBron, if you wanted the season to start later, you had the option, but you had to give up money. I will, out say, of your, I will say it was a vote. It was a vote. It was a vote, but you have to give up money out of your, your contracts to make it work. The problem is these players, they want, they want it both ways. They want their money, but they also want their rest. The NBA is a business. The, fa- the, the only way they're able to pay guys like LeBron, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, all these exorbitant amount of money, like, in comparison, look what the NHL does. Like Their, their max contract is, is a $12 million contract a year. <laughs> like, dude, like, you guys make far more money than these guys will ever make, but you guys aren't willing to pay money to keep the league, you know, to finance the league. The league needs money to pay you guys. And the fact of the matter, they have TV deals. They have commitment that they got to make in order to obtain their revenue. Plus, the bu- things like the bubble weren't cheap. And so I think LeBron, what LeBron is saying in principle is right, that, oh, I told you so, but it was also your fault, LeBron, that you weren't willing to sacrifice money out of your pocket to make something I will say happen. quickly before we move on to the next point that in fairness to the NBPA, they have to look out for all 450 of the players, right? And so guys who are not named LeBron James and who are not in those top what hundred top yeah let's say top hundred players list yeah um they needed that money bro they're not gonna make much money at least in comparison to other nba players across their careers exactly. so as much money as they could get right now they were obviously gonna choose yes on the voting ballot right um so again in fairness to the nbpa they do have to look out uh for the needs of everyone not just obviously the top guys in the league who didn't yeah. want to play uh let's say um, the next point in the up and under segment is, um, uh, unfortunately, another piece of somber news um, is the fact that Chris Paul will be out indefinitely after entering health and safety protocols. Now, before people go crazy about, oh, LeBron didn't have to enter health and safety protocols, LeBron. Chris Paul tested positive. That's the difference. Yeah, that's, so, that's big. The fact that he tested positive now... I don't know if it's confirmed that he's fully vaccinated or not. I think no, he is I, apparently. He's I fully think. vaccinated and he tested. I think positive. so. I think so. Either way, regardless of the fact that he tested positive, and this has just been such a 2020-2021 kind of thing that has happened. You know, um, we were doing very well in terms of COVID testing and stuff, and you know, making sure there wasn't any cases. This was one case positive test out of the however many remaining players there are. So the NBA is still doing a relatively good job. The problem is you can't control this virus. Like there's, there's just you just can't make that, let it happen. And the, it sucks for Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns because they're in a position where they can make it to the NBA Finals. But in terms of what this does, like if Chris Paul isn't back by the Western Conference Finals, it's really hard to see them go anywhere. You know, and get get to the NBA Finals. It's and that really brings tough. me to my point about Chris Paul, right? Like. Out of all the players, out of all the players, it was Chris Paul. Again, yeah, no, really? this guy, this guy, I think has some of the worst luck I've ever seen. You know, yeah. Every single year he gets injured, 
And then this year, he got injured again, obviously. And then, you know, he's finally looks relatively healthy to end off the Denver Nuggets series where he was amazing. And this happens. Yeah. And this really kills the Phoenix Suns' chances if he has to stay in quarantine um, or stay in the health and safety protocols for the full 14, let's say 16 days, whatever it is. Um, if he has to miss two weeks, the that's Phoenix a, Suns are... That's a series. Yeah, the Phoenix Suns might not be able to get to the finals. Well, the good news for the Suns is that they found... They, they got the positive test happened. You know, they, they swept the Denver Nuggets. So they have had time, yeah. more time than some of the other series to kind of rest and keep isolate Chris Paul to make sure not only that the virus doesn't spread to other teams, but also the fact that, you know, it could reduce the amount of time Chris Paul has to miss actual gameplay. And the Phoenix Suns do have a very good team overall, so hopefully that will factor into their success that they yeah. could possibly have. Yeah, so those were a couple of somber news we wanted to touch upon. Which brings us into the next point of the on the up and under segment. Now, this is something that happened recently today and really just shook the entire NBA landscape. But it's our first trade of the offseason. So, are you up or under on Brad Stevens' first move of Celtics president? And it's a big one. It's basically the trade that sent Kemba Walker uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder along with the 16th overall pick in this upcoming draft and a 2025 second round pick, you know, in exchange for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick. Now, Brad Stevens really loved Al Horford. He really wanted him to stay, you know, you know, when he was a free agent a few seasons ago. And now he's back. Yep, he's back. Um, listen, man, I'm up on it. A lot of people are saying um, across social media that the Celtics got finessed in this trade. I don't really think so. Um, and a lot of it just hinges on Kemba Walker and his inability to play good basketball over the past couple of years for the Celtics. Now, again, if Kemba turns back into Charlotte, Kemba, uh, you know, the, his Charlotte mode, then then my opinion might change. But based on what he's become over the past couple of seasons, um, I don't think it was a bad move from the Celtics' point of view. Now, obviously, they did give up, um, uh, you know, potential all-star, um, and then obviously the 16th pick in this year's draft and another pick on top of that. But they got a guy in Al Horford, um, they saved $20 million off of that Kemba deal by trading for Al Horford. They get Al Horford back onto the Celtics, who Brad Stevens loved and who played very well for them. And, you know, for the OKC Thunder, he did play pretty solid as well. So you could hopefully see him back, uh, you know, contribute um, to a lot of success for the Boston Celtics. They also got Moses Brown. And I was kind of surprised that OKC parted ways with Moses Brown. Um, because of the fact that he showed so much potential for the Thunder. Um, he looked like a very good player um, in the limited time that he played on the floor. And I think for me, it was very surprising that they just let him in uh, into this deal. So I think that for me might have been the most surprising aspect of this deal. But I think for both teams, I think it did what they wanted. And I think it worked out at least right now for both sides. Um, yeah, I, I, like looking at, like, based on what you were telling me about it, like, I get why the Celtics did the, did the, made the trade because obviously they were going to trade Kemba regardless. My only question is, A, why was it Al Horford? Because I know Al Horford was great for Boston. I know all that. But Brad Stevens is no longer the head coach of the Boston Celtics. Now, does, does that mean the system is going to change? Who really knows? The Celtics haven't really named a head coach replacement yet. But in terms of pure age and value, to me, it's kind of a little, it's a little tough to see how this is going to play out. 
Now, if Oklahoma City, this is a great move. They get rid of Alfred for money. They kept a walker. They get another pick because, you know, Sam Presti is hoarding every single draft pick. You know, you got it. You got it. You can't miss on those picks, though. If you miss on those picks, so we're That's gonna have true. Uh, another Boston. But situation. listen, he has five picks in this draft from pick uh, from between pick one and pick thirty six. Mm-hmm. Five picks, so he can move two, three, all of them for a lot of good pieces. So the fact of the matter is, Sam Presti has got more draft picks. He's got another trade chip in Kemba Walker. They could flip Kemba still. It's not like it's impossible for them to flip Kemba Walker. So that's a very good for the Thunder. But for the Celtics, I'm really trying to figure out what their idea is. Because now they got a huge hole at point guard, they're going to have to fill. So let's see what Brad Stevens does now moving forward. I mean, for the Celtics, Kemba Walker was not playing great for them anyways. They get Al Horford back. They get a nice piece in Moses Brown, a nice young piece. And they get a pick on top of that. So given the fact that Kemba Walker's contract was huge and you didn't really have many options to trade him. But was this the best offer you got? That's my question. I don't know. We don't know. We won't know. But I'm still questioning whether or not this was the best offer the Celtics could have gotten. Yeah. Uh, Next up, are you up or under on the Pelicans and head coach Stan Van Gundy parting ways after their first season together? Uh, This is becoming a very reoccurring theme in this offseason so far. A lot of first first year head coaches getting fired after one season. It's Pretty, pretty unprecedented, to be honest with you. But the Pelicans really didn't have a great year. They started off the year very, very well and then just completely fell apart. And I think we were very questionable on the Stan Van Gundy hire to begin with because we were like, how good is Stan really? Like, is he? Like, you know, it's the same thing that we were saying about Tom Thibodeau. Like, these are coaches that are kind of stuck in their ways, does really only one thing well. And in the case of Stan Van Gundy, his, his, Calling card was defense. Yeah. Like, but the Pelicans were garbage on the defensive side of the ball. It, it wasn't even that they were garbage. It's that they made so many mistakes, like laughable mistakes on a nightly basis. I mean, have you seen what Stan Van Gundy was playing on the sideline? <laughs> like, listen, that was a mistake in and of itself. And I think a lot of what why they brought him in was because of what he was able to do with Dwight Howard, you know, and that they, they can replicate some of that with Zion Williamson. Now, the problem is... The Pelicans really need to figure out who they want to build around. Is it Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram's team? You got to figure that out because you can't have both these two guys over that need the ball, that, you know, have two completely different play styles, that, you know, it, it's really, really hard to find a direction for this team unless you figure out who's, the, who's your number one guy. So I don't think Stan Van Gundy wasn't the guy for, these, for, for this team. And now there's reports that, uh, you know, moving it on into the, into the next point, are you up or under? And Zion Williamson's family is reportedly unhappy with the Pelicans and how they've utilized him, how they've built the team around him. I'm under on it. And I'll say this, first of all, they're all entitled to feel unhappy or happy, you know, with whatever. It's a job, right? You're entitled to feel however you feel about it. But I'm under on it um, in the sense of the adding problem of, you know, the, the problem that's being recurring around the league which is superstars having a bit too much power right um it you know the nba is a very player friendly league however it's getting to the point now where it's getting a bit too much for you know and we both said it numerous times right where guys are making that commitment to their contract and then just completely leaving or you know not not going through on those commitments 
um, and you know everyone wanting to move to the big markets, well, uh, New York or LA. I'll say this about Zion Williamson: a lot, some of this has to be on you. You know, the biggest question like with you, we no one's denying your raw talent and potential. You got to stay physically healthy to be able to serve, you know, to last an NBA season. You know, you can't just keep getting hurt every five seconds. You can't just be babied so much, you know, just because you're 6'4", but you're 300 pounds. Like, it's one of those situations for Zion Williamson that, like, you want to, you know, you can't have it both ways. You know, the Pelicans are doing everything they can to build a team around you. Um, now, yes, could you question some of the decisions David Griffin has made? Yeah, but it's a good, it's a pretty decent roster. In, in fairness to Zion Williamson, he himself never said anything. And he, yeah. he himself has always had a good attitude, I think. It's just the the precedent that has been set before. I mean, and the then like, exactly, and then the you know just the the feelings that this report entails, um, based on what's already happened before and the and the ongoing issue. I think the NBA has to deal with. Um, I just don't like the the you know the uh, impact that this report might bring across the league. Yeah. Uh, next up, are you up or under on the Pacers head coach Nate Bjorkman being fired as well after one season? Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of up on it in the sense that we kind of talked about it when the report kind of came out about Nate Bjorkman, but there was just too much going on with the locker room on that team that it was just very hard to see how they brought him back, like. I get it. It was the first year. And again, if it was up to me, I think I would have given Nate, Nate another chance, another year. But, I don't know. But, but I think the Pacers were really kind of like, listen, we brought you in for, for, for a purpose and you weren't able to do that. So, And you lost, a, you lost a locker room in the process. So, you know, I think for Nate Bjorkman, it definitely hurts because this is his first NBA coaching job. But again, I think he can recover his, recover his image, you know, go back, work under Nick Nurse a little bit and... Uh, you know, maybe recreate your image in that light. So, but it does kind of suck for Nate Bjorker. Right? Yeah, I'd have to agree with as well. And it kind of sucks as, you know, as Raptors fans, we we all look at Nate Bjorkman as like a really good coach. Well, he you was know, a big I, part of our He was a big team. part of our success. Um, unfortunately, in Indiana, I just completely blew up pretty much, um, which was sad because of the fact that it started off so well. Yeah. You did. know, they were playing a completely different brand of basketball they were playing a very good brand of basketball that worked well with the personnel that they had and seemed to be that like everything was going well um and then they just went on a tailspin um after like the first quarter of the season and then obviously all the reports as you said came well, the, out about Nate Bjorken the Oladipo and the, and the Levert and the Harden trade really kind of I think was the main driving force because that's where things really changed yeah you know um and I guess Nate Bjorken I mean, if the reports are true, man, that's like, yeah, you, you, you can't bring him back after that, right? So, it's really tough, man. And I think for the Pacers, I think they're just, they, they, they feel they can contend right now. They want someone who, who can help them maximize their team. And exactly. Nate Bjorkman lost a lot for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that was that. And finally, uh, here's, uh, here's something great, for, great news for Zeeshan. Are you up around the Washington Wizards and Scott Brooks agreed to you part ways after contract negotiations went nowhere? Um, I mean, I'm up on it. And it's not just because it's a good thing for me. Obviously, I don't want people getting fired. I don't like the people losing lives. their jobs. Um, <laughs> but it's not a good thing for me. It's a good thing for the Washington Wizards fan base Thank because God. they're finally they finally got rid of Scott Brooks. This guy was terrible to say the least. Listen, like, he, he was, was there, absolutely terrible. He was there for six years and he made the team progressively Five. worse each season. 
five, felt like six, whatever. But he's been there every those seasons, and he made the team progressively worse. You know, each year, like at that point, like you, you gotta be canned. I'm sorry. And he's, like he was never a good coach to begin with. We yeah. said that. Literally, I said that when he got hired five years ago. I was like, this is not a good hire. And over five years, I've just been proven right by that. Um, and again, like I said, Scott Brooks was on my list of guys to get fired. And he pretty much did get fired, right? We can say, you know, we can say a contract negotiation impacts, whatever they want to say. The point was, he pretty much got fired because the Washington Wizards knew he wasn't worth the money that he wanted. Um, and so, you know... Scott Brooks should have been fired a long time ago. We know this. I've said it numerous times already. This guy sucked as a coach. Yeah. No offense. No, um, he really hopefully, he can, he's he's probably a good assistant coach. Uh, but yeah, as a head coach, man, he sucked. Yeah, he 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 should be gone, man. I I, I yeah. It's, but how Luke Walton still has a job? Who really knows? Next up. Yeah, and probably next up. I will say probably next. Next up. Lo- next up on the I, as the Sacramento Kings, we don't uh, know. Who knows. With that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, YouTube, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Up, Letter, and Under Podcast, Facebook.com slash Up and Under Podcast. For all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news as they occur. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. It's a place where we write blog posts with every single episode. So if you don't have time to listen or watch the full thing, you can read about it on our website. So definitely check that out if you haven't done so. And uh, yeah, man, uh, we're getting very close to the NBA Finals. Very, very close. Uh, more off-season content is going to be on the way. So definitely stay tuned for that. But uh, yeah, with that, that's the this week's episode. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take it easy. Easy.